0: Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of the SciComm Toolkit Podcast. This is the show for those who want to start doing science communication or those who are already doing it so they can gain more tools to level up their SciComm confidence. I'm Soph and I am your host. I am a scientist turned science communicator and I am passionate about giving everyone the skills they need to be confident science communicators as well as always learning more about science communication myself so I can continue to improve as well. Today is the return of my chats with other fabulous science communicators and I will probably end up saying this for every single one of them but this was my favourite one yet. Today I will be talking to the incredible Marin Hunsberger, Marin is a scientist, science communicator, writer, video producer, podcaster, actor and just downright inspiration of mine. While she is a freelance science video writer, host and producer, she is also studying for a master's in medical microbiology. She co-hosts and writes and produces the science history podcast, Surprisingly Brilliant, and is a science script writer and host for Seeker. And if you haven't watched Marin's videos in their latest series, Body Language, you have to go and watch. So when I was chatting to Marin and recording ready for this episode, I had so many epiphanies, so many moments where I was just sat there thinking about the personal psychom I do and just going, wow, that makes so much sense. And one was even about the format of this show and whether I should change it up to be just sort of conversations with other science communicators other communicators from outside the field so we could learn even more and that's because as i've been doing these chats and just asking the simplest of questions to these incredible communicators i i have learned so much that you might think it's really simple things but just chatting to someone about a particular topic science communication or not it just really opens your eyes into other ways of thinking about things and you just learn other things so even if you don't listen to the rest of this episode please just take that away and go and talk to people and ask people questions about what they do and what you can learn from them because it's it's really made me think about whether I need to change the format of this podcast already but we will stick for the current setup for now We chatted about a range of things around the topics of her science communication and specifically then finding science stories and then turning them into scripts. We mainly talk about scripts for videos, but also think about podcast scripts as well. So once again, we had a chat that was nearly two hours long and I have had to cut so many gems to get this episode to a listenable length for you. I really do need to start sharing some bonus clips or tea break chats so I can share more of the gold all of my guests are sharing. But don't go anywhere, there is plenty to get your teeth stuck into in this episode right now. So let's get to it. I am delighted to introduce you to Maren Hansberger. Um, yeah, this is the bonus that I have of um, interviewing people who do their own podcast. The <laughs> the, like, yeah, we'll just record it this end as well, too. Just, oh, exactly. just in case. <laughs> just
1: in case. Just in case. So hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll have everything to work with.
0: <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me today I'm very very excited to chat to you finally
1: it's absolutely my pleasure I'm so excited to be here thank you
0: (laughs) so you you are a microbiologist and a science communicator amongst many many other things Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe you can tell us a little bit more about your science your career your psychom journey so far
1: Oh, my goodness. Yes. Um, okay. So it's a little bit of a, of a saga, a little bit of a journey. So uh, <laughs> the best it. ones. <laughs> Buckle in. Um, but essentially, I when I was growing up, I never, ever considered becoming a scientist. I That was just not something that I saw for myself because everything that I, I don't know, my image of a scientist was very like, they have to be very logical and very like non-emotional and cold and they wear a lab coat and they work in a glass building mm-hmm. and they never see the sunlight and they can't talk to other people and I was like well, that's <laughs> not me <laughs> so just really definitely internalized a lot of that pop culture image of what a scientist was mm-hmm. and also like I really struggled and still do with math, like it was definitely my weakest subject by far. And so I was like, um, tell me yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, ex- Right. Exactly. I think a lot of people can relate to that. So that definitely led me to believe like, well, I'm going to just stop doing math as soon as I can. Ha! Joke's mm-hmm. on me. Um, but that essentially <laughs> meant that the things that I enjoyed the most and um, the things that uh I felt strongest in were things like writing, you know, my English classes, art classes, um, places where there were like there was lots of room to be creative and lots of flexibility and not necessarily one right answer, which I really liked. And so when I went to college, started out as an English major, and a year in, I was like, "This is miserable. I hate this. We're reading like ancient books by." gross old men that I don't like and the <laughs> books aren't interesting and I'm not having fun. And this, we're not doing anything new. Like this isn't, this isn't fulfilling any of my creative Desires. And so Mm I sort of had like an existential crisis about what am I going to do with my life? Oh my God, what am I going to do in college? I don't know. And so just asked myself, you know, what else do I like to do? And the answer was, I love to be outside, I love to be in nature. So Mm -hmm. I decided to major in environmental science because I was like, all right, that just lets me be out in the woods touching nature and stuff. And sure, (laughs) it says science in the title, but like, you know, it's just. Being with animals, right? Wrong. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much science. Um, and I had to pair environmental science with a more quote-unquote hard science. So I chose biology. So I double majored in biology and environmental science. And that's why I kind of say I sort of like accidentally fell into science was because I never really intended to be a biology major. You know, like, but that was when I very first started. You know, at like nineteen twenty to learn how to learn and to overcome this narrative of like, I am not X, I cannot do Y. Like that's only true if you really believe it. And if you start to try to change that self-narrative and say like, no, actually, I think I can do this. I do understand it. Maybe I learn it in a different way from other people, but that doesn't mean that the way that I'm learning it or my level of knowledge is any less valid or advanced. So that's just sort of when I started to internalize that kind of thing. And as I progressed through my science degree, I realized that I really, really loved science. I really loved the ways it lets us ask questions about the world. Senior year of college, I ended up taking a a specified class, like an advanced seminar in microbiology, and just absolutely fell in love with it like all of the tiny minuscule invisible things that literally like our planet and our bodies would not exist without i know it it blows blows my
0: mind. mind
1: It's amazing, like the number of things that they let us do. I mean, I I read a paper recently about how we think that viruses in the ocean are the the very base of the food chain because they're splitting open all of these other microorganisms and letting nutrients into the ocean. So literally, like the reason we have blue whales is because of viruses, right? How crazy is that? so cool. Oh, no. So I fell in love with microbiology. But then, you know, throughout that whole process of college, I was still feeling kind of insecure about my knowledge and definitely had a lot of imposter syndrome because of the way that I came into science. And everybody else just seemed so sure about what they wanted to do and that they were going to go on to do a PhD immediately. And they had been doing research already, or they were going to go to vet school. They were going to go to med school. And that wasn't me. And I still had this really deep love of writing and being creative and, and storytelling. Because I initially, you know, when I came in thinking I was going to do an English degree, what I wanted to be was a TV writer. I wanted to write, uh, you know, for like fiction TV. Um, So I still had that desire. And then I also fell in love with. Theater. I had always, you know, with this love of TV, this love of film, this love of storytelling, sort of had a secret desire to act and got into that in college and did a bunch of um, plays and short films and things. So I was sort of left at the end of my college journey being like, all right, I don't know what I'm doing. So I, I looked at like all my passions. I was like, all right, I love science, I love writing, I love performing what's at the intersection of all those things? And the answer was science communication. So this was sort of right when um, SciShow, you know, Hank Green, uh, that whole um, uh, zeitgeist was really coming into the public mainstream and being really popular with Crash Course and all of those platforms. And so I saw that and I was like, all right, YouTube is a democratized arena. Like, let me just put myself... Out there. So I started making the shittiest science videos <laughs> you've ever seen, Sophie, <laughs> in my dorm room in college when I was 19. Um, you know, and I had no idea how to work a camera. I had never filmed anything on a on a camera before, a digital camera. I didn't even know to like turn my AC unit off when I was recording. I didn't know how to use the <laughs> microphone. Like it was just a whole disaster. But it was this perfect entry into like, I think with Things like making videos, and this goes for the writing and the recording and the post production, you have to do it to learn how to do Mm -hmm. it. Like you can take all the courses you want, you can watch a million videos about how to do something, but unless you're hands on, unless you're doing it, unless you're iterating and drafting and making crappy, crappy, crappy things, you're never gonna get better. So you have to just, that's always my advice to people who come up to me and are like, Hey, how do I get started in science communication? The answer is you literally just have to start. You have to start making something and then see what you don't like about it so that you can, the next thing you make is just a little bit closer to that end vision that you have. So that's sort of how I got started in, into SciCon.
0: So I wanted today to delve a little bit deeper into kind of script writing, mainly for kind of videos, podcasts and things like that. I'm sure there's other things you would write scripts for, but kind of wanted to focus on those today. So I don't know if you can remember the first ever script that you wrote.
1: Oh my gosh, that is a great question. And I actually do, I do remember it because it was was a a big milestone for me. You know, remember I was saying about how I started making really crappy YouTube videos in my dorm room. Mm -hmm. Um, The very first one I ever made was about why Rice Krispies snap crackle, and Pop.
0: So I I need to know why now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I remembered the explanation. So (laughs) essentially, Rice Krispies are grains of rice that have been superheated and puffed up. And that means that they have these little air chambers inside of them. And those air chambers are delineated by, you know, really thin, crispy walls of rice uh, fiber, essentially. So when you add liquid, uh, those bubble chambers burst and they make a sound. So when it comes to um, videos,
0: podcasts, Why are scripts important or even are they important?
1: Mm. Yeah, oh my gosh, I love this question because when I very first started making those videos, I... I didn't use word for word scripts. I just sort of riffed on, like I did the research Mm -hmm. and I knew what I wanted to explain, but I, yeah, just kind of talked a little more conversationally to the camera. And I started just by talking about things that I was curious about, like questions that I had about the way the world worked. And I was like, maybe somebody else will find this interesting. I don't know. Uh, And it was much more um, casual. And I think a lot of people really like that because it feels much less rehearsed. It doesn't feel like someone's trying to convince you of something. It feels much more just like having a conversation. And that's really what I'm trying to replicate in all of my science communication is making somebody feel like they are a part of whatever I'm making, that they're not mm-hmm. on the outside of it. I'm not explaining at them. We are having a conversation together. And so I think having a, a looser unscripted video with still a a point and a a purpose that you're trying to make that that can be the advantage of that one of the reasons that I started moving more towards scripted content however like you know much more I'm gonna say this line as it is written is because I started delving into much more technically complex content and Mm -hmm. that meant that what I was saying had to be incredibly accurate and specific, and I had to write it down beforehand, otherwise I was not going to be able to replicate it, uh, you know, when, when filming. I, and I think too, one of the things that I really love about scripting out beforehand, and this can be done with a detailed outline as well, like you don't need to script it word for word to do this, but one of the things that I'm still working on in my practice today is making sure that I'm getting my point across in the most efficient and relevant way possible. So it's not that I want to, you know, get through the video as as fast as I can. It's that I want to make sure that I know what I'm trying to say and every single thing in the video is working towards that purpose. It can be fun, it can be there can be jokes, there can be funny visuals, but none of it is extraneous. None of it is work that the viewer is going to have to do to sort through the information and be like, okay, well, that's not relevant. So like put that to the side. You as the science communicator, you need to be doing that job for your audience. Because I think, especially at the beginning, I often was making content that was a little bit all over the place and unfocused. And that makes it, especially if you're trying to communicate a complex technical subject, makes it harder. It makes it harder for the viewer or the listener to get your point. So as as much as you can really focus, who are you trying to talk to? What are you trying to say to them? And make every single thing in your video relevant to those two questions, who are, who are you talking to and what are you trying to say? Then that's where scripting and, and more detailed outlining is really helpful because then you can cut, right? You can cut and trim. All right. Actually, I don't even need that in there because... That is not that's gonna be confusing to add in. I, I think I was talking to um somebody else about this, and we were saying how it's really, really hard, especially if we have if you have a science background, to not want to put literally everything in the video or in in, yeah. in the podcast episode script. Cause you never want to be accused of leaving something out or getting something wrong, right? That's like the ultimate sin in science communication is is being inaccurate. But you have to balance that with saying, okay, this video isn't about the entire history of black holes. We can't do that, right? That's that's like a, a two-semester course in university. What we're doing yeah. instead is telling a story about this one guy who did this one thing when measuring black holes at this point in time, right? So we gotta focus it on down and make sure that everything that we're saying in the video or in the podcast episode is relevant to that, relevant to the audience that we know we're talking to. So we may need to give this background, but we're just not going to try and and include the entire history of everything ever, which is
0: a, a hard. That's hard. Yeah, I think it's but maybe particularly difficult if you kind of have come from that, um, let's say academic background, because you kind of write a massive thesis that's hundreds of pages long and you kind of have to do that almost complete literature review and if you're telling someone you want to share that knowledge with everyone else but not everyone cares about everything that you've written in your thesis
1: exactly Um, and it's going to distract from the ultimate point you want to make, right? If you're making a video about a specific thing, you don't want to muddy the waters. You don't want to uh, decrease the strength of your own point. So I always try to remind myself, actually a question that I, I try to ask myself every video is, could this be two videos you know it does it make sense is there enough here are there two different points that we could make and then produce two even better highly specific really focused videos is that the case here and if the answer is no then that's great because you can just keep on chugging along but if the answer is yes it's like okay we might want to think about separating this out you know
0: yeah i know that's really really great point i don't know if um there are any particular skills experiences or maybe perspectives that that a good script writer might need maybe um I don't know let's say a performing background you know how things might appear on screen or you might need to be a reader or um I don't know creative writing and things like that I don't know if there's anything um from your background that has helped you with that or other things that you wish you had
1: oh man such a good question um Well, first of all, yeah, I definitely think a performing background is really, really helpful if you want to do on camera work, not necessarily if you're going to be in production, right, writing, um, yeah, producing, directing. I don't think you necessarily need to have a performance background, but I think if you're um, doing any kind of uh, on, on camera work, on microphone work, or... Even just public speaking, and this goes for scientists too. I I say this in my trainings for scientists as well um, when I'm talking to them about, you know, getting into science communication, even if it's just for effectively communicating your own research, even just to your colleagues, like to your lab, an improv class. a a basic acting class just for fun, right? No stakes. You do not have to be good at all. (laughs) You do not have to have any performing skills, but just having that experience is so valuable to knowing how to communicate with other people in a public setting, in front of other people, because it's very different from when you're just having a one-on-one conversation with someone. But those skills are completely translatable to any kind of communication anyone is doing anywhere, so I'm always a big proponent of take an acting class, take a, a an improv class, and I say those instead of public speaking classes because they're just more fun, right? They're they're low stakes and they have a lot of very similar um, skills that you will be able to transfer over into regular schmegular public speaking. In addition to to performing, I think also consuming a lot of fictional media, right? Like I was saying, I, I'm a huge mm. TV hound and wanted to be a TV writer because I was just, I'm fascinated by the way that they tell stories over such long periods of time and make you yes. in, so invested in like sometimes a huge cast of characters, the way you can just fall in love with a world and with a cast of characters. Um and I think a lot of people see, you know, something like um uh, Loki, right? On on Marvel. They see that and they're yeah. like, well, that's about as far away from David Attenborough's planet Earth as you could possibly get, <laughs> right? <laughs> when in reality, they are using the exact same structure to tell their story, to make you care, to draw you in as the viewer about two completely different subjects. And so I think recognizing the narrative. Devices that are used in media that people really care about and have this huge emotional attachment to, is really important to understand and then try to translate over into uh, nonfiction media. Because I think we we fall into a trap a lot of the time of science media being perceived as like boring, or you are mm-hmm. only into it if you are already interested in science. And that's my biggest goal is to try and make things that. People who are not already interested in science, people who think science is not for them, people who think science is boring and hard, that they will be interested in these products because they, they draw you in and they make you care in the same way that TV does.
0: If someone was out there kind of watching Loki and thinking, I want to make better science videos or even just write better scripts about mm. science, how how should they be watching Loki? What things should they be looking out for and how can they then translate that into how do you apply the non fiction no the fiction things to the non fiction things
1: totally totally well i think you know if we if we look at planet earth again This is a very simple example, and it has its drawbacks, right? It has its flaws, and there's valid criticism of it. But the personification of the animals, right? (laughs) They have names. They have families. They have struggles, right? Mama lion has to go do this thing because she has to feed her family. But, oh, no, she has to leave the cubs behind. Are they going to survive? You know, imposing that drama, you know when when looking at loki we have these undercurrents of things like family like belonging like wanting to prove yourself those things are very inherently human very universal right every human knows what those things feel like and i think all of those things are are missing from a lot of science communication media but the thing is that science is done by people and for people so let's bring the humanity back in in terms of looking at a, at a fictional TV show, how are they structuring those narratives to be clean and efficient? Like I was saying before, you know, they they want to do this exact same thing. They want to tell their story as efficiently and in the most satisfying way as possible. So let's take the way that they're doing that storytelling efficiently. Let's take the elements of humanity and what's universal about that and apply it to science, it's immediately applicable because science is a struggle, <laughs> right? So for, for funding, Absolutely. for <laughs> overcoming, you know, failed experiments for, uh, you know, is this even the right direction to go in? And what are we doing here? I think so many people want to portray science and so many people think of science as this perfect discipline right this mm-hmm. it is the most pure the most logical it is the way that we understand quote unquote the truth actually there kind of is no one truth Science is just a really organized way we have of asking questions. And if we can kind of demystify that about science and say, like, listen, the people who do science aren't perfect. Science isn't perfect. It's a process. It's always being iterated on. We can bring those people back into the stories. We can bring, like, why do they care? And and what is this science having to overcome as well in terms of, like, this problem uh, maybe it's stem cell science, right? This is immediately applicable to to folks with lymphoma who may be undergoing experimental stem cell trials, you know, and that's, again, a very obvious example of how a piece of science is applicable to humanity. But I think there's always that link. And as much as we can bring back the fundamental human elements of the science being done and imp- apply those narrative structures to Uh, Bring out the emotion without distorting the science or the facts, or 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 making it, you know, into some melodrama that it's not. Still being honest, but having it be authentic, having it be flawed, revealing the yeah the humanity and and the feeling behind the science. I think that's something we can take away from popular media.
0: Is there anywhere we can go to, or maybe resources you know of where we can go and learn about? narratives and story structure sort of more generally so then we can sort of apply it to our science stories whether that's research whether it's
1: people and so on oh my gosh yes and this is why I say like again people are people are gonna totally uh, come at me for this but this is why I say you don't need film school <laughs> is because just type into YouTube free film school and there are like five million channels that do up wow. b- and considering the fact that I have taken you know academic film Courses, theory of film courses at the master's level, I can tell you that a lot of those YouTube videos have exactly the same content that I learned in that class. <laughs> and, you, <laughs> you know, they dissect a scene uh, frame by frame. Like, why did the person choose this shot? What does it mean? It means something. This is why this framing makes you feel a certain way, right? These folks on YouTube, oh, doing god's work out here giving well, us free- i know
0: exactly what i'm gonna be doing for the rest of the weekend <laughs>
1: exactly free film school for sure where you know and you'll find somebody that you whose opinion or whose voice rather that you really resonate with too because obviously film criticism and film theory are relatively subjective uh mm-hmm. and so you'll get people having different different interpretations and um yeah, there there are lots of great videos out there from the very basics of narrative structure, right? Like beginning, middle, conflict, uh, climax, resolution, denouement, finish, uh, yeah. you know, that can take you through that whole roller coaster um, all the way up to more advanced, yeah, filmmaking techniques of this is how this actually works on a film set. This is why you would structure this this way. And, and that's the other thing that I think is so essential and that I'm still really learning and that I think we all... Will be as long as we're practicing in this space, is how is meaning created when you have multiple modes of input for the information? So, for example, in a video, you not only have the sound, and maybe that's narration, maybe that's an interview, maybe that's voiceover, whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, and you have the visual. And I think for a long time, I, as a creator, was making things where the visuals just exactly matched. The input, the audio information input. And it was just sort of there as like a, an illustration basically. And, and that's very valid and, and, um, uh, works. But moving into a next level is how can you create more meaning than either of them have on their own? right how do you create something that has that is larger than the sum of its parts so maybe you say one thing in the voiceover and the visual adds to that right it, it contains information that you didn't say in the voiceover but together they create the whole concept that you're trying to get across and you can do that you know, in animation, right? Maybe you're saying uh, this gene is uh, copied by this protein, blah, 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 blah. And you have extra information that you don't say in the voiceover on the screen in text on screen or in little graphical elements. Or maybe it's more artistic. Maybe it's more evocative of an emotion. Maybe it's more cinematic, right? You can do it in so many ways where you create more meaning together with the elements that you're, the separate elements that you're, you're combining. And I think that's, both one of the most exciting parts of creating multimedia content of any kind, but also science communication multimedia and also maybe one of the most challenging.
0: So yeah, I guess um, talking about scripts and structure and things, what are kind of the main stages you need to go through to ultimately end up with a script? I guess broadly maybe planning, writing, editing and then delivery if you're kind of the host, so to speak. So I don't know whether you can talk us a little bit through your process and this kind of things you get up to each time
1: absolutely um so the the very first thing and i'm sure many people have said this on your podcast is who are you talking to and what do you want them yep. to know obviously like a, a video about a malaria vaccine is going to be completely different, like a, like an unrecognizably different video if I'm making it for a scientific audience um, to play at a conference of people who, you know, are extremely familiar with mRNA vaccine technology versus if I'm just making it for the average person on the street. So that that's one very obvious difference. But there are even, you know, more niche things to think about. Like when I, I have worked at a big laboratory, a big science laboratory in their public affairs department, you know, making videos about the science that they did at that laboratory. And the question always was, who are we talking to? Because it's all well and good to make a video, but I think a lot of people, especially some of my freelance clients, right? People I make videos for sometimes think they come to me and they're like, we want to make a video. And I'm like, okay, why <laughs> yeah. uh, for like what what is the purpose and and what are you hoping it will do because i think a lot of people just stop at the we're going to make a video and then we'll have a video. And they think that that's going to, I don't know, just do something magic. Whereas you have to know, yeah, have to know who you're talking to and what you want them to know and what you want them to do at the end of it. So a video always has to have a purpose, I think. Um, And sometimes that purpose can just be to entertain or to inform. But I think the more specific you can be, the better it is um, in focusing the rest of the process, which for me starts with outlining. So that's where that information and that understanding of narrative structure comes in. How are we going to pose the problem? Is there conflict in this? Who are the main characters? Maybe the main character is a technology. Maybe the main character is a question, right? It doesn't have to be people. But who who are we going to care about in this story so that you can outline the the structure of how you're going to present the information. With science communication, it's especially challenging because you have to overlay that narrative structure on top of complex technical information. And that yeah. again, it is why the audience identifying the audience is so important because then you know what understanding of this topic do they already have or what do I have to introduce? Where is the background information going to come into this video and this explanation so that everybody can understand the conflict, the resolution, mm-hmm. the main characters? So the outlining is is um, super super important, and then all of the research, right? All of that good background research, um, and then the the actual scripting. And for the scripting part of it, as I'm going along, right, I'm always doing that pruning thing of like, is this really important to the story that I'm trying to tell? Coming back to my outline, is this relevant to the okay. story? Is this important to the emotional arc of the story? And if the answer is no, it's like, okay, can I get away with not having it in and this still being correct? Because sometimes, obviously, there's like an issue with having an incorrectness by omission, right? So you have to ask yourself that as well. Like, is this going to be wrong if I omit it? I'm not saying this doesn't exist, Mm. but I'm just not going to include it. So you have to ask yourselves those questions. And in the scripting stage, I'm also usually storyboarding at the same time. So this is where that concept comes in that I was talking about earlier of creating meaning with the visual. So as I'm scripting the video script, I'm thinking, what is the viewer going to see here? Mm-hmm. Because the information is really important, and this is something that I've kind of only learned relatively recently. I used to just just script, and that was the only important part to me. But as I've gotten you know more more um, more experience, I've realized how important it is to have that in your mind while you are scripting because it's going to change the things you write. If you if you think about what detail can I add in the visual here? Maybe I take some words out of this sentence. Maybe I can have this expressed visually instead of, you know, by the host or by the narrator because then you get the maximum amount of information across to your audience in the minimum amount of words, right? Going back to that efficiency. Mm. Um, making it easier for the audience to absorb that information mentally. How, how easy can you make this to understand? And that involves combining those um, information in words and the visual information. So I think doing those things in tandem is really important. And, uh, your outline, having a really nice solid outline that you feel confident in is going to help you along that way. I also think getting somebody else's eyes on it is really important. Yeah. Uh, I was going
0: to yeah. ask about feedback yeah. and who the yeah. right people to ask were.
1: Yeah. I mean, it depends on the team, right? Um, so, you know, for my YouTube channel, it is just me, uh, yeah. Uh, Whereas, you know, for videos that I make with Seeker, um, we have a a team of not only script editors and producers, but also visual editors and animators who are we're all working on it together, which is obviously a huge privilege and amazing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But everyone can contribute. And especially if I've been like knee deep in this research and somebody comes to it with fresh eyes and is like, I don't understand this at all what are you talking about you know I it gives me great perspective about like okay so somebody who hasn't been reading about this for the last week is not going to get this okay back to the drawing board (laughs) how can we fix that so yeah I I think having different perspectives is really important
0: yeah and you mentioned that you were you kind of prune your script sort of as you're going along is that something you've gained through experience and just constantly writing more scripts or is that something you've always done because sometimes I find when I'm say writing an article if I'm sort of trying to edit it as I go along that sort of stops the flow of things So I don't know if you've ever found that pruning as you go along has been kind of a hindrance to you and whether you kind Ooh. of just dump everything and then edit later
1: yeah that's a that's a great point I think it just comes down to individual writing style you know there are some people who mm-hmm. like do not write a rough draft like what they write and as they write along, is is the final draft? Like they're only ever working on the final draft, um, and there yeah. are people who, yeah, do do a whole draft and then a whole, and then edit and do a whole another draft, edit and do a whole another draft. So it just comes down to practice, I think, to find out what works for you in terms of how your brain works and what you like, um, because it is a very individual practice for me the outline is kind of that info dump i tend to have a, a research document where i have all of the stuff that i'm looking up about this um all of the things mm. that i think might be interesting to include all of the things like background context stuff that's just for me that will never make it into the article i have like a whole <laughs> huge messy document that's basically just cut and paste you know links and quotes oh, from yeah. articles or journals stuff like that um and then the outline is sort of the first place that I start to think, all right, this is all all of the information I have to cover. What am I gonna include? That's the first step is is taking that research document and, and making it into the outline. And then I think as I write, then I, I already have an idea of everything I have available to me. And working from the outline, I can decide what we're gonna include in, in more detail or less detail or what actually, we don't need to have um so for me editing as I go is is more effective and it's kind of just the way that I all, have always written anything but it's it's everybody's going to do it a little bit differently I think are there any kind of like core elements that a script needs I think you know that all comes down to uh, that very first question that we're always asking is who are we talking to and why um mm-hmm. you know if it's because every, every single yeah, a piece of science communication is going to have a different goal. So I think the things that are important to that goal would be the things that have to be included. But I, I think something that is universal is a reason to care, right? Mm-hmm. You know, as someone, and maybe you can relate to this, like as someone who's just like very inherently curious about a lot of things. Like, <laughs> I just really want to know why this is the way it is, or like I just really want to know how this works. I always have to pull myself out of like, well, somebody just like this is going to be cool just because it's cool to know. Like, of course anybody would yeah. want to know this. It's cool, uh, you know. And that's where my first, um, my first attempts at science communication were always rooted in that. Right from the Rice Krispies video onward, I was always like, well, of course somebody will want to know this. It's very interesting. And I was like, well, <laughs> you haven't really given them a reason to care. And I, I think that's true for some topics, right? Some things that are fun, it is mm-hmm. just kind of like a fun factoid that like you can throw out there and be like, oh, hey, let's we'll bring that up at a party you know but especially for more complex things you you first have to give the people that are consuming that product a reason that they should want to keep watching and a reason that they should be emotionally invested and a reason to continue to the end right so not not spoiling everything at the top um this comes back to narrative structure teasing out the narrative to say like this is the goal, but oh no, is it gonna make it to this? Who knows? (laughs) Um, And adding this element of tension, if you can. Give it, yeah, giving your audience a reason to care, A, and then B, a reason to keep watching. Um, Mm -hmm. Those are the two most important things. Going back to kind
0: of the, when you're writing a script and looking for the right things, what things you actually look for? I guess research articles is probably an obvious one. Are there any kind of other sources that you're looking for, you're Googling for when you're trying to write a script about whatever video or podcast topic you're you're doing
1: totally totally yeah so all of my facts you know any fact that I state in the video I always want to have really solid scientific support for in terms of evidence from a a journal article something like that but I also really like to look at the news coverage of something maybe it's a new paper Mm -hmm. or maybe it's an article that's been written about this broader topic because I really want to see how other people are talking about it so that I can see, okay, is there a common way that everybody is approaching this? Is there um, a common narrative that everyone's using? Do I want to use something different? Do I want to use something similar? Is there a part of this that isn't being talked about right now that we could then fill the, that gap for. Um, I really like to take in that media landscape to see who's talking about it and in what ways already so that you can make something that either adds something new or takes on this new perspective or maybe even questions the the popular narrative. Maybe the way that you structure the video is in in opposition to the popular narrative because you're like actually I don't really like the way people are presenting this it doesn't really make sense to me or it's giving people the wrong idea or how can we ask um the viewer to think about this differently so I like to do I like to do that as well
0: and how do you know when to to stop researching because we've all been down those kind of google rabbit holes so when do you know enough is enough (laughs) if you can ever know when enough is enough
1: I mean, another, another one of my favorite quotes I think about, you know, just production in general is, it's never done, it's just due. <laughs> so every single piece of science communication that I've ever made, I look back on and think, I wish I could have had two more weeks on that. <laughs> I wish I could have had some more time. But... You do. You do just have to decide, all right, you know, that. coming back to my initial questions, is this talking to who I want it to talk to? Is it saying what I want it to say? And if the answer is yes, for the most part, then I think you're groovy. And if it's do, it's do. And you got to get it done. Sometimes that answer, very often that answer is yes, but I could add this. Or yes, but I could change this. But if the answer is yes, but... I, I think it it can be ready, even though it's hard to let something go out into the world that is, doesn't feel perfect. I definitely have that problem. <laughs> and it's uh, one of the reasons that I uh, publish way too infrequently on my own YouTube channel is I, I've made some videos like five times because I wasn't happy with the way they were. Oh. Uh, but something that my mom always says and that I really like is um, if you're looking back on the work that you did even six months ago, a year ago, uh, especially more than that. If you're looking back on that work that you've done previously and you still think it's amazing, maybe that's not so good because it means that you haven't grown in that time. You haven't progressed. So if you're looking back Mm -hmm. on it now with your eyes that you have now and saying, "Eh, that could have been better, that's good because that means that you know how to get better and you know that you can do better. So I try not to live too much in regret because it's it'll just kill you, first of all. Um, and then, yeah, I think it, it all comes back to that idea of, ha- have I told this story in the most efficient way? And the pruning and trimming part of the scripting and outlining process is really helpful for that so that you can say, hey, you know what? I do not need to include every single thing about this topic in order to make this video good or valid. In fact, this video is better because I have chosen to talk about the things yes. that I have chosen to talk about.
0: And I'm assuming then the things that you decide to put into the video ultimately go back to who you're trying to reach, what you're trying to tell them, what you want to take away.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and does it serve the story, right? Is it, is it an uh, efficient and compelling way to tell the story? Because often, you know, there's a piece of background information that I'm like, desperate to include because it's interesting. But it doesn't make sense in the flow of the story, you know, it, it just is, is extraneous and distracting. And so you have to, um, what's that phrase from Allen Ginsberg that is, um, you have to kill your darlings, is you are going to have things in any product that like you are in love with and that you don't want to take out, but it's better for the story <laughs> to do that. And actually something that you put out into the world, Sophie, really inspired me um, about this and made me feel better about this was when... The- there's something that I love in a, a video or a script that I just have to take out for the good of the story. I'm going to save that and put that in my back pocket and share it in a different way, right? On social media. So yeah. how can you, you know, multitask or make make pieces of content multi-purpose? So you're putting out that long form video on YouTube. Yes. Take that fact that you think is amazing, but didn't make it into the video and share it on Instagram as a way to talk about the fact that you made the video. So thank you for that.
0: No, I love that you brought that up. It's a great way, actually. If you think, "Oh, I wish I'd shared that bit of information," but yeah, great way to promote the the video that you're doing.
1: Exactly, and keep that. it all keep it all cohesive, but also add add new. You know that you're not just putting out the same thing yes. on every, every on every platform, which is definitely a challenge that I have because, oh, as you yeah. know, like every single social media platform is so much work (laughs) and the idea of having to make novel unique content for each platform is just exhausting sometimes
0: so I I just don't anymore (laughs) it's just too much especially when I spend like most of my day and my day job as well on social media for exactly um, for an organization so when you're writing your script digitally on paper however you do it what do they actually look like are your scripts just literally like words on a page and then because storyboards are kind of in like a grid sort of layout as far as I know right
1: yeah yeah exactly so that is that is how I write the script is in a a grid so um, it's just a table essentially it's got two columns (laughs) Um, (laughs) and uh, on the right hand side i have my words that i'm writing that i will be speaking out loud because most of my videos are hosted Um, and on the left hand side i'm making note of what visuals i want to include so sometimes that's just especially in the in the beginning drafts that's just a little note to myself like find picture of this, uh, you know, or animate of this um, text on screen of this name here um, for each line of the script, essentially, Um, because nothing is worse than getting into the edit studio and realizing you have like a whole chunk of 30 seconds or a minute where you have nothing visuals you don't know what you're gonna put there (laughs) then if you can figure that out in pre-production as opposed to in post-production that is ideal and I know that because I have made that mistake before Um, (laughs) so taking note of the visuals as I go um, and then I chunk it so the table right is two columns and then I separate into rows my different sections that I have in my outline. So intro, conflict, uh, you know, background, whatever. I'm separating them out so that I can sort of feel the flow of the script and the story and oh, uh, maybe I need to reorder this. So I'm going to put actually put this row above this one and then you can sort of move those around more easily. And then as you get into post-production, especially if you're working within a team, you can share that document. I usually work in Google Docs. And mm-hmm. that um, that video script, you can put links to um, B-roll, right? So if I'm working with an editor, I will, for each of my little visualization notes, I will be like, you, you know, use this Getty uh, stock footage, or uh, this is an example of the animation that I'm talking about, um, so that you can have an idea of what I'm thinking of for style and, and feel. So that's really helpful if you're working collaboratively. I usually am scripting for myself because I'm hosting, but I will also occasionally be making videos that don't have me in them at all. Um, they're just other people's <laughs> interviews and, and B-roll and, and talking other people talking. And what I do there is if I've recorded the interview or if there's any sort of substantial length of content that I need to um, be using and maybe editing, I put that into a transcription service So I'll use something like Rev, for instance, and that'll give you an audio transcript of the interview. And this is what we do for Surprisingly Brilliant as well, because we interview experts for each episode, but we do not use the whole interview. We we, we pull out chunks that we put into the story at key places. So looking at it on the transcript is super helpful because you can do what's called a paper cut, which is where Mm -hmm. you essentially edit that video, edit that interview on paper. You take the different chunks that you want, uh, you cut at certain places, you can rearrange things. Um, And so I'm doing that for a a video that is not scripted and is not me hosting. I'm taking the transcripts of the interviews and making the paper cut uh, storyboard that way um, so that I can still do my visuals assignments, uh, assigning the visuals to each line, but um, it's just with the transcript of the audio. Yeah,
0: so when you're um delivering your scripts do you memorize everything or do you kind of ad lib a little bit but still follow the flow of things
1: oh my gosh um i do not memorize no no definitely not <laughs> um I, I use a teleprompter just to put that out there uh-huh. but like none nothing is memorized um because those scripts are nuts uh it would take forever i I've tried to script as much as possible in the pre-production process, all of the sentences in the way that they most naturally come out. But very often in the actual read, in the actual shoot, uh, it occurs to me on the spot that like, oh, I want to put this a different way or add this inflection or change this structure of this sentence. And I'll just do that on the fly because I've I've done it so many times that I feel comfortable doing that reading from the teleprompter. And so I'll add in... Yeah, little asides, little ad-libs, little changes as I go. And we'll have a couple of different takes. You know, we shoot the same take Mm -hmm. multiple times. So yeah, they're they're scripted and I'm reading from a teleprompter, but I try to make them feel as uh, unscripted as possible. And that comes in. Yeah, I was going to ask, how do you do that? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that just comes in in the scripting mostly. Like you've scripted it so that the words do not sound like they're scripted, (laughs) which I know. Yeah. Sounds hard. Um, But that's why reading it out loud as you go and as you edit is so important is because you'll be able to hear it. Um, And then becoming so familiar with it, right? That's why the read through really helps as well, is that the more times you have read it out loud before the shoot, the more it just sounds like it's coming out of your mouth, you know, that it's just a conversation, that it's just something that you're thinking about at the time and then um, the only you know way again to get comfortable with the teleprompter is to practice so just doing it over and over again finding the right speed finding the right delivery for you so that you do feel like you have the time and space to play with the wording and to to shift things around if you want to um I mean and you should see the bloopers like there there's a million (laughs) takes where I stumble over my words and I don't finish a sentence correctly or I've tried an ad lib and it didn't work but obviously the only things that come out are the the things that did work so you just have to play and you have to iterate and you you have to do a million bad things before you get a good a good one so
0: so what would be your I don't know three top tips or your best advice for anyone who wants to write better video and or audio scripts?
1: Oh gosh. (laughs) I think the the three most important things would be to have a clear vision is number one. Like we've talked about a couple of times, know where you're going and that is going to make the whole process so much easier. (laughs) So if you have a clear vision of what you want the end product to be, and that is all going to be informed by everything that I've talked about so far, right? Uh, who are you talking to? What do you want them to know? That clear vision is is going to be informed by all those questions you're asking yourself and is going to make the process of making that product so much cleaner and less painful. Because yes, it's going to evolve as you go through. But if you have a, a, a clear direction that you're going, you can always sort of reorient, be like, okay, wait, we're getting sidetracked. We're getting lost. Let's get back on track here. So have a clear goal mm-hmm. and a clear vision at the outset. Number two, I think, is don't be afraid to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean don't be afraid to let somebody else see it. I think especially when you start out, it's really hard to let that that baby that you've just created, yeah. right, go out in front of somebody else because you're like, oh, God, they're going to see all the things that are wrong with it. No, yeah. And it is really hard. Feedback is really hard. Um, constructive feedback can be very difficult to internalize, especially at the beginning. But the more you get used to that, the more you start to see people's feedback as a really good thing that's going to make everything better. It's not a personal criticism of you as a person. It's just, hey, how can we make this the best thing it can be, the better you mm-hmm. get at that, the the sooner you get better at that. Um, and by that, I mean letting other people see what you've made <laughs> and give feedback, yeah. <laughs> the, the more improvement you're going to see on a faster timeline. So that's number two, don't be afraid to ask for help and outside perspective. Number three, I mean, I think number three is one that I'm always telling myself too, which is don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Somebody's mm-hmm. always going to be mad about something. Somebody's always going to say, "I wish you had done this instead." Somebody's always going to say, "Why are you the way that you are?" <laughs> uh, yeah. so somebody's always going to have something to say about it. So it will never be perfect. It should never be perfect. If it were perfect and pleased everybody, it would be incredibly boring and probably not very good as a piece of science communication. <laughs> so don't let this idea of trying to strive for something perfect prevent you from putting it out into the world because you just got to keep on going. You got to put it out, keep going, make something new, put that out, keep going, make something new.
0: It's not like you're only going to make one video or one podcast episode in your whole life. So it has to be perfect. So exactly. You can make another one. You can try again.
1: Exactly, You can always try again.
0: Exactly. 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 Uh, So my final question to you is something completely different, really. Um, It's just a question I like to ask at the end of every interview I do. Um, just to crowdsource some inspiration for me mm-hmm. but, um, um, and the question is where in the world would you recommend traveling to and visiting and
1: why oh that's such a good question where <laughs> in the world oh my gosh ah oh I have so many answers <laughs> that come to my to they come to mind
0: like I will take more than one if you have multiple. <laughs>
1: okay 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 so I have two and they're mm-hmm. <laughs> they're actually related so one is and I'm sure I mean you've probably been here because you are English um the Lake District is one of my I've never actually been
0: there <gasps> Sophie,
1: you have to go. That's definitely one of my favorite places I've ever been in the world. And it reminds me of um, Cinque Terre, which is in southern Italy. And they're like, completely different landscape-wise, but they're very similar in that they're like this cluster of towns that you can hike between and basically Amazing. like do a, do a circle, right? So the Lake District um, has all of these beautiful towns in between the hills and the lakes. And Cinque Terre has the same, but it's like the Italian mountainous coastline. It's incredible. And they both have like, yeah, these little towns nestled in the hills and you get to walk between them and enjoy this incredibly gorgeous nature and wilderness, but then end up in a town where you can buy either clotted cream fudge or gelato, depending on which one you're in. So... (laughs) Those are two of my my favorite ever travel experiences I've had is taking time to to hike between those um, towns and both those places. I've loved it.
0: Yeah, I, I adore Italy. So I'm definitely adding that one to the list too.
1: Highly recommend. I mean it's just like every Italian coast postcard you've ever seen and it's in real life and it's one of those moments where you look at it and you're like this isn't real I'm looking at a photograph what is happening I can't believe this is in front of my eyes oh my god yeah just we're in a
0: simulation now because this cannot be real
1: yes exactly you definitely (laughs) feel like you're in your own your own movie it's pretty amazing
0: great well thank you so much for giving up your time today to chat to us I have loved every second and yeah thank you for all your tips and advice
1: Oh, my gosh. It was my pleasure, Sophie. Thank you so much for having me on and for asking such great questions. And I know that I tend to ramble on. So thank you to everyone for listening to my incredibly long answers. (laughs) And um, yeah, thanks for listening. If anybody wants to ask me um, more questions or find me online, I am at Maren Hunsberger on Instagram and Twitter and YouTube and at Maren Microbe on TikTok. So I'd love to see you. Anywhere that you'd like to find me. Yeah, you took the last question straight out of my mouth. <laughs> I'm a pro. <laughs> You've done this before. <laughs> Always be plugging.
0: <laughs> I want to say a huge thank you once again to Marin for giving up her time and sharing all her SciComm wisdom with us. And as I said right back at the beginning of this episode, I had to cut so much out of this interview and the chat that we had, so there is plenty more to come from Marin very soon. If you have listened to this podcast before, then you will know what point we have now reached. If this is your first time listening to the SciComm Toolkit podcast, then welcome to the DIY section. This is the part of the episode where I share a resource, exercise or activity that you can do right at the end of this episode. Why? Well, I know I am guilty of it and many others are too. That is where you read about, take courses maybe about a certain topic, watch videos about how to do something and then never actually put that knowledge into practice. This is what I hope this section of the podcast helps with, so we can actually take action on the things that we're learning. So, today's one is probably an obvious one, but I want you to practice writing a script. Do some research, find the story that you want to share, write your script, think about what will be the visuals on screen if you're going to make a video share it with friends for their opinions, but most importantly, record it. You don't have to show it to anyone, but record your video or audio clip to see what feels right, see what didn't work, get some more feedback once you've recorded it too. Please remember that you do not have to show it to anyone or publish it on a YouTube channel or anything like that, but get some practice in writing the script but also then delivering it because they are two completely different things and you don't know if what's written on a page works unless you say it out loud or you deliver it to camera or you speak directly to your microphone. Once you've recorded it, then ask yourself if the message you wanted to share is coming across. See what you can change for next time. You can get a script and storyboard template from my website right now, or create one of your own with just a simple grid in a word doc. You can find that and all the other resources, as well as show notes and transcripts, for every episode of the podcast at softtalksciencecom forward slash SciCommToolkit. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Sci-com Toolkit today. Don't forget to rate and subscribe if you enjoy what you're hearing. Share it with your friends too. You must now go and watch Marin's video series, Body Language on Seeker. Then come back to us and listen to more episodes to level up your Psycom confidence even further. Until then, stay curious, keep creating, keep psyching, and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.